Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Uh, In this series uh, called Stain Balance, this is a series that we started just, uh, just before Easter, we get two out of the four weeks. Um, take a look at the ones that we've done so far here. Um, we've talked about uh, balancing the mountaintop, experiences with the valleys of everyday life. We talked about others' expectations. How do we balance that? Today, we're going to continue that series this week and next by looking at how do we balance our past and our future. The one thing I love about this series is that it acknowledges the tensions that naturally exist in our lives. And one of the, the tensions that exist in our lives is, has to do with uh, where we put our focus. Is it on our, our past, our present, our future? You know, a lot of us, like myself, um, we naturally tend to focus on one more than the other. I tend to be more of a future-focused person. That's just the way I, I'm built. I, it makes me a very good planner and, and thinking ahead. And as a leader, I get a lot of compliments about that. Man, I like, really like how you're so organized and thinking ahead, forethought. People appreciate that. But it, taken to an extreme, it can be kind of a tragic flaw because if, if I or others like me stay and remain focused on the future, then it hinders us from being productive and enjoying the present. We miss, we tend to miss what's right in front of us right now. And so one thing I have had to work on, and if you are like me, it's being fully present. If you've ever heard that term, being fully present where you are and with whom you you are at that moment. Still others of us, we tend to have our focus more on our past. And when we naturally focus on our past, we, we look at one of two things. We look at our, typically our, our failures on one side or our successes on the other. Neither are really good for us. If we tend to focus on the, our past and we move forward through life like this, always checking over our shoulders, we're going to run into trouble, especially when we let the past failures discourage us or our uh, past successes build us this pride or make us arrogant, okay? Maybe like, uh, uh, like Uncle Rico. Have you ever seen uh, the movie Napoleon Dynamite from 2004, way back in the day? I, I wanted to show you this just to give us a laugh, but I feel like Uncle Rico's a really wonderful illustration. Go ahead and put that up there for us, guys. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Watch this. Ah! Ah! What the heck are you doing? That's what I'm talking about. I better go. <laughs> How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? Well, if coach would have put me in fourth quarter, we'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things would have been different. I'd have gone pro. In a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up. A hot tub with my soulmate. 
kill. I reckon you know a lot about cyberspace. You, you ever come across anything like time travel? Easy. I've already looked into it for myself. Right on. You know, some of us tend to live in 1982, you know, and if this, if that, if this would have happened, my life would have been different. We're like Uncle Rico walking into our future, looking totally on our paths. And so living in the, in the past or living in the future is, is not a good thing. Either way, we, it prevents us from being productive and enjoying our present. So how do we balance where we've been and with where we're going so that we live in our present most productive and enjoyable way possible. I think that there's a lot riding on this. I think there's a whole lot riding on this. Learning how to do this effectively, it's, it's mainly a mind thing, right? But learning how to do this, it can significantly affect uh, the quality of our relationships. If you don't believe me, talk to someone who's been married to somebody living in the future or living in the past. If you look at more of Uncle Rico's story, you find his wife left him because he's back in 1982, Right? And so we need uh, uh, to get this down. We need to learn how to balance it, whether it be the, uh, helping our families thrive or helping our careers grow or the kind of memories that we're making. It depends on whether or not we're balancing our past with our future. Think about this for a second. Memories aren't made in the past. They're not made in the future. They're made right now, right? You're making memories right now. And so how do we balance this, this tension? And so what I'm suggesting today, based on the events recorded in Mark chapter 14, is that a shared meal is an excellent way to facilitate important conversations that help us calibrate. I think that's a great word. It helps us calibrate ourselves when we find ourselves naturally more focused on the past or the present. So speaking of meals, uh, the question for you, what is the best meal you had this week? The best meal you had this week. I think that for me, it has to be last night. We went to the Brandon and Taylor Rossi's for Brenner and board games. I think there's a lot more Brenner than board games. There was no board games, right? I played a couple with my, with my kids. But the, the, the breakfast for dinner, I love that idea. It was wonderful. Um, and you know what made that so much fun? It wasn't necessarily the food, although the food was really good, right? The food was really good. It was the conversation. It was being around friends and the laughing and it was really loud and the dog was running around and the kids were playing and it was a good time, you know? Uh, and I, I think about uh, just meals in general. Fortunately, I married a woman who can cook. I mean, she, Jamie is the best cook I know. She is fantastic. And I don't just have to say that. She's very good. She's better than my mom and better than my grandma French. We are both very good very good cooks. Jamie just, she just hits it home every time. She's a very good cook. Um, now, if, men, if, if your wife is not a very good cook, I wouldn't bring that up today, okay? Don't bring that up today. Um, in my home, we eat, tend to eat dinner together a lot, as much as we possibly can, um, because having dinner together helps our family stay together. Uh, and we tend to be busy, got kids in sports and working here at the school. And so we meet up and, you know, sharing about our days. And it just has a, a way of reconnecting us as a family. And so I'm sure many of you also eat dinner with your families. You maybe have like a dinner time tradition that helps you facilitate 
that experience. But in my family, we have something called one claps. And I'll tell you more about one claps at the end. But this is one way that my family, uh, or one thing my family uses to make our dinnertime conversation more meaningful. And so we'll come back to that at the end. But thinking about meaningful dinnertime conversation, I heard a, a boy ask his father, he said, Dad, are bugs good to eat? And the dad just replied right away, that's disgusting, man. Don't talk to about things like that at the dinner table. Well, after dinner was done, the dad's like, okay, you know, we're done with dinner. You know, now, son, what, what did you want to ask me about bugs? He's like, oh, nothing, the boy says. There's a bug in your food, but now it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. That would have been a meaningful dinnertime conversation to have at that point. You know, what's really funny about that is that I don't have like bugs in my food that I'm aware of, but I'm telling you about two-thirds of the time, there's a hair in my food. I'm not even joking. My family think it's, thinks it's hilarious. I'm beginning to think they plant it there or something. But if you ever like go out to eat with me, you're going to see me like kind of scanning my food because one way or another, there's a hair in it somewhere. Now, I, I, I have a feeling it might be my own because I didn't have this problem before I was 30 and I had short, real short hair. And so now that I have long hair, I think, tell me about it, right? You don't have that problem, do you? (laughs) That's funny. Well, you know, when we look at most events in our daily lives, most of them are pretty ordinary. They're functional, right? Um, But occasionally we experience an event that seems to partition our life into a, a new season. It marks a new start of something or an end of something for that matter. You know, I think seasonal holidays have a, have a tendency to be that way uh, as they cause us to pause and kind of reflect on the moments leading up to it and then what might come after it. I think for Christians in a lot of North Americans, Christmas has that effect, not only because it's one of our uh, greatest holidays, but it's also the, mark, the end of a calendar year, right? So as the end of the year rolls around, we start reflecting on this year and looking forward to the next. And, and so... Um, they have this, this function, this capacity. For other people, it's, it's Easter or it's a birthday or it's a wedding anniversary. But whatever the occasion, usually a meal is a central feature of that, of that uh, festivity. You know what's interesting about holiday meals is that they usually take three to four times longer to make than they do to eat. You know, Thanksgiving is infamous for this, right? Thanksgiving seems to be the one that's infamous for this. It's like, You know, you're sitting around, you like almost fast that morning, you know, and then the football game comes on and you're just trying to like lightly snack because you know like this really good food is coming. And then by the halfway through the game, you know, you're like, like everybody starts getting grumpy, you know, talking about, everybody's like, where's the food? Is it ready? Is it ready? And mom's in the kitchen or somebody's in the kitchen and hollering back, don't ask me anymore when it's going to be ready. You know, don't talk to me. Don't even come in here and Rolls are being thrown and things are happening. And by the time you get to it, you're like a, like a pack of wolves, you know, on a deer in the woods. Like, ah! And it's gone in like five minutes. And, you know, I think it's important when we run into these holiday meals or special meals of any kind that we actually slow down and take our time and approach them with a greater purpose. And part of your homework this week is to, and next week, I'm going to tell you to have two meals where you have a little bit of a greater purpose with them, and you're going to need to slow down, okay? 
slow down enough to have some important conversations as a family or as a couple or with your close friends, all right? We need to think of these meals as a way to facilitate important conversations that our families need to have periodically. And if we look in Mark chapter 14, which we're going to do right now, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 25, Jesus was doing exactly that with his disciples. So let's stand together and read God's word. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. If you can stand, we'll stand up and read together here. On the, last, excuse me, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal uh, for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. As the, at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs in a large room that is already set. Uh, that is where you should prepare a meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything, just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the 12. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is one of you 12 who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. After he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn, and went out to the Mount of Olives. Thank you. You can be seated. So we typically refer to this passage of Scripture as, as the Last Supper, and we derive our uh, communion ceremony from this. Okay, this is a very off-read passage of Scripture here. Jesus takes his, the cup and the bread, and, and we, we go through that, and we remember that. Here at Cornerstone, we, we take communion about every six weeks, about every six weeks, we actually just took communion not too long ago on Easter. And so as we read through this, we see Jesus uh, having this, this last supper with his uh, disciples. Um, I found this little cartoon here looking at Passover. He's got two sheep. He says, ah, yes, here it is. Say, uh, it says here that the Passover is a time of uh, celebration, including a feast of unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and, uh, oh, <laughs> lamb, lamb. You know, for the Jewish people, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover meal are kind of like our Christmas in that they were the, the biggest, most looked forward to holidays each year. In fact, the Passover meal especially served uh, oftentimes throughout their history as a, an important marker, like maybe like a revival, as was the case in Josiah's case. It was a, a very, um, very powerful moment in their history. And the reason for that is because if you look back in Exodus 12, verses 1 through 30, you will see that it originated while this, uh, the Israelites were in Egypt. They were slaves of the Egyptian people, and 
God said, hey, Moses, I'm going to bring one last final plague. And this is going to be a doozy. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell every family to get a lamb. They could technically get a one-year-old goat or a sheep. And get a lamb, you kill that lamb, and you brush its blood on the exterior doors of your house. And so when the death angel passes through, he will pass over every home that has the blood on the doorposts, okay? And hence the term Passover. And they were to eat this Passover hurriedly. They were to roast the entire lamb and eat with bitter herbs, and no leaven should be found in their houses. Um, and, and so there was some other things that went with it, but after that event, the pharaohs set them free. They were no longer slaves. They left Egypt. Not only did God deliver them, but the, he gave them favor with the Egyptians. And the Egyptians gave them gold and jewels and riches. So they left Egypt rich and ready to thrive in their new land. And so every year after this, they were to remember this event during the Passover meal. It was a time for them to look back and reflect on what God had done for them and in the past. It was also a time to look forward, though, and think about God, what God said he would do, okay? So in both instances, they're remembering, remembering God and how God had works and would work in their life. Now, during this Passover, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is doing uh, and helping his disciples with that. Now, I have to think, just based on what what we know about the disciples from other scriptures, I have to think that some of them were, were more naturally focused on either the past or the future. You have some, maybe like Matthew, who was a despised tax collector. I think as he began to hear Jesus' words that he was going to die and be gone and a new chapter in their lives was going to start, I, I have to tend to think Matthew started wondering, what am I going to do? You know, the only reason anybody likes me is because I'm with you you know? And so I think he was starting to think back on his failures and the way he cheated people and just he had a hard time accepting the forgiveness of God. That's, that's my conjecture, at least. Then you got other people on the other end, some of the disciples, as soon as Jesus started talking about dying, these guys are arguing about who's going to replace him. I mean, he's standing right there. They're not even really concerned about his death. They're talking about who's the greatest and who's going to be the leader when he's gone. And they were not fully present. They were already thinking ahead. Who's going to take over the reins? And so we've, Jesus is having this meal with them. And I think he's helping. He's uh, these, having these conversations and helping them, those who are more naturally focused on the present. He's going to talk about the future God has for them. And in that, he gets them focus this way, and all these guys looking to the future, he talks about what God has done, and by doing so, he balances them, calibrates them back into the present. Now, we see him having this last supper in Mark 14, and it's really, there's, it's not incredibly descriptive, right? We have to look in the other accounts, especially John's, to see more of the details in regards to his conversation. John Chapters 13 through 17, five entire chapters are devoted to Jesus' conversation uh, with his disciples. If you have a moment later uh, today or this week, I would just glance through that, read through that. But in that, we find uh, that Jesus is just speaking to them and helping them either get uh, balance from the past or balance from the future to get right there, be fully present. Now, just as a side note here, 
I want to talk about Mark. We'll come back to this thought in a second. But look at Mark 14, 13. I'll just give you the skinny. I think Mark was this man. Okay? I think Mark was this man. Look, he says, as you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. That's a pretty rare thing. You know why that would stick out? Because men didn't carry water. Men didn't carry water. It was the women who went and got the water. But I think, based on what Acts 12.12 says, Acts 12.12 says that Mark's mom, not Mark's dad, Mark's mom had a house, which indicates that perhaps Mark's father had passed away, and so now it's Mark's mom's house. She had a large house where many gathered to pray, including the apostles. In Acts 1.13, we read about them praying and gathering in a large upper room. I think it's the same room. I think that perhaps Jesus, knowing that he was about to die, was setting up his disciples, soon-to-be apostles, with a rallying place, with a place to gather after he was gone. And so we have Mark, perhaps his mother's only son, going and doing, uh, humbling himself, really, going and getting water for his mom, carrying it in. He would have stuck out. There would have been maybe dozens of women in the city carrying water. The only guy right there, let's go follow him. He would have been an easy find. And so the disciples went in. And I have to just wonder if this is how Mark initially met Peter, for instance. Uh, Maybe Peter was one of the disciples who went. Um, It is commonly believed that Peter shared his firsthand observations with Mark, and Mark recorded them for the Romans. And so Mark could have been sitting over a meal and, and transcribing as Peter talked. And I wonder if when he got to this part, he paused. And he just remembered the first time he met Jesus. Maybe they were passing each other as, as uh, Mark was coming down the stairs, making sure everything was set up. And Jesus and his disciples says they arrived in the evening. Maybe they passed each other. I think maybe Mark kind of stood on the steps like a little kid does and listens to the conversation that was going on. Um, maybe this is the first time Mark started to believe uh, in Jesus as the Messiah. But in any event, this was an important meal. And Jesus is, uh, was there, he was with, was with his disciples, and he was taking this opportunity to help them remember what God had done in their lives. And I think the same can be true for you. And so this week, what I want you to do, when you sit down to eat a meal with your family, I want you to take a moment to go around and share one thing that God has done in your life. One thing, it could be something recent, it could be just something for all time, just a, a, something that sticks out when you think about a way that God has changed you or something he has delivered you from. I want you to take that time and go around the table to share that testimony. See, what that does is that it calibrates us, especially those who are very future thinking. As we turn and look back at how God has moved in our lives in the past, it, it kind of reorients us here for the, in the present. And those who are in a dif- difficult place, I think it builds their faith. As you, if you're in a really difficult place like these disciples were, talking about how God has delivered you and changed you and done miracles in your life and made a way when there was no way, that builds faith in you. You talk about what Brittany was saying and just speaking out the things. All of a sudden, you can't help but get excited and think, man, the God who did that then, he will do it again. 
He will do it again. And so I want you to take a few moments around uh, a meal uh, this week. I don't even care if it's pizza, okay? Or a dollar taco night. I want you to take a minute and to go around the table and share one of those things. And I'll tell you more at the end of how to, how to kind of facilitate that. Um, so not only did the disciples look back, but they also looked forward, especially as Jesus shared the words recorded in John chapters 13 through 17. You see, they were beginning a new season in their lives, a season without him, a season without him. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that they knew that God had wonderful things planned for them, that he was not going to leave them alone, and that he was going to that he still loved them despite not being there with him. As I looked through, I found that those were three themes that just kind of recurred. He talked about going to prepare a place for them, right? Talked about sending the Holy Spirit as a comforter. He talked about, listen, God loves you just as I loved you. Just abide in me and everything's gonna work out. And so the thing I want to say to you today is remember that God has great things prepared for you. He has great things prepared for you. You're not alone. As you move into your future, you are not alone. He loves you. He loves you. Listen, this is something a lot of people don't understand. He doesn't love you more because you were successful or really good in the past. He doesn't love you any less because you failed. He just loves you, period. He just loves you. It's not a meritocracy, okay? It's, it's, just the love of God that he has for you and that in you express your faith in Christ and just he just pours out his blessings on you. It's the simplicity of the gospel. And so I think it's really easy for us to forget those things, you know, especially if we tend to be more oriented to the past and dwelling on our past or our present. If we tend to be more like Rico living in 1982, you know, we have a hard time remembering those things. And so Jesus turns our thoughts. I'm asking you to turn your thoughts more to the future and think, listen, no matter what's back there, God has great things for you in the future. And as you talk over a meal, whether it be this week or next week, I don't know if it should be the same meal. I almost think it should be two different meals. But as you talk about it, I want you to talk about your, the, what, the plans God has placed in your heart. The things that you believe God wants to do in you, maybe before the end of this year or before your next birthday or whatever moment you pick. Because I know that God has put dreams and plans and hopes for the future in each and every one of your hearts. He has, he has put them there. And it doesn't depend on your age. It doesn't depend on if you're really old, you know, or really young. There's no limit. I mean, Moses delivered the people from Israel and he was 80 right? He's splitting their sea and he's 80. If he was 80 and doing that kind of stuff, then you and I can do that and do something great for the Lord as well. And so I want you to take a moment to talk about the things that you believe God is going to do in your life. Jeremiah 29 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. You know, I don't have any tattoos, not a single one. My wife has a couple. She kind of likes tattoos. She has them here and, and there. She has like Bible verses and things. You know, maybe I get a tattoo with this verse, you know, for those of us or anybody who tends to forget 
that God has a future for you. Let me put that little Jeremiah 29, 11 down there. That sounds like a field trip, don't it? <laughs> sounds like a, a tattoo field trip. That's right, Bruce and I, we're going. <laughs> Tattoos. That would be not very cool, I don't think, actually. Mm-mm. Henna. Henna tattoos. There you go. That kind of breaks a man law, though. Getting henna, I can't do that. All right. Well, at the beginning of, a, uh, of my, my sermon, I told you uh, that my family and I eat dinner often together, and we use these one claps to facilitate dinner time conversations. So here's how one claps work. Okay, so you, you pick someone to start. Usually I start with... Uh, I'm usually last or my wife is last, so we'll pick one of the kids who ever sits next to us and we go, you know, clockwise. Or it doesn't matter which way you go around the table, but you pick someone to go first. And so they usually, it's very informal. Like, tell us your favorite part of the day, you know, and so people will go around and just share something. Usually it's 20 to 30 seconds, 10 to 20, 10 to 30 seconds. It's pretty short. And then we can ask one or two clarifying questions like, why did you like that? Or what was the best part of that? You know, or tell me more. That sounds really cool. Just one or two. The reason for just one or two clarifying questions is because if you get more, then it starts going and going and going, and then we might forget where we are in the, in the rotation. Okay, it's meant to be like five minutes. It doesn't take a long time. So when somebody's done sharing, we go one, two, three, and we clap for them. One claps. Okay, and the next person goes. All right? And so... I'm giving this to you as a way to facilitate these types of conversations. You're going to talk about something God has done in your life in the past, and then at another conversation, something that God, you believe God wants to do with you or with your family in the future. I thought we could practice right now. And so we're going to practice. We're going to do the, the past conversations first, okay? And so I need like two people two people who feel comfortable just sharing a quick, like 10 to 30 seconds max, something they're just, God has really done, they're really thankful for, they're happy about. Just a quick testimony. It could be uh, something basic. Somebody's got to raise their hand. You guys are too shy. All right, Rachel, gotcha. Okay, so where do I start? Um, well, um, you only got 10 seconds. I know. Okay, I was seconds. in a really bad relationship, got out, and I have an amazing husband now. There. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Who's got a clarifying question? <laughs> Don't laugh. Not one that, not a soul bearer, just a quick question. You got a question for her? Yeah. What is amazing about him? One thing. What's his name? That's my first question. His name is Hanny. Hanny. Yes, I'm coming. He loves me in a way I've never been loved before. Oh. And, and regardless of anything that I've done, and, and he knows all about my past, and he still just loves me. Sounds like a good guy. So, yeah. All right, let's give him, no, one clap. One clap. One, two, three. All right. Okay, let's do one for the future. A quick hope or just something you feel like God wants you to, he's going to do in your life. You guys are so nervous. Here. Just kidding. I want to retire. Nice. And I want to go see my family, my daughter, and my four grandkids. What? Okay, somebody ask a clarifying question. Where do your grandchildren live? What? Where do your grandchildren live? 
in Maine. Maine. Very cool. Um, what are their grandchildren's names? Liam, Lily, Major, and Fort Boy coming in July, and his name will be Jack. Wonderful. One, two, three. That's it. That's how one claps work. Okay? And so this week and or next, I want you as a family or as a couple to have those important conversations around the table. They don't have to take very long. But what they do is they help us balance the tension that we have uh, between our past and our future and helps calibrate us when we're more future thinking. Talking about the past brings us back here. When we're more past-oriented, talking about the future brings us back to the present. Either way, the key is remembering that our times are in God's hands. How many of you have read that psalm before? Psalm 3115, the psalmist says, my times are in your hands. And so when we realize that, that, our li- that God is sovereignly in control of the details of our past, our present, and our future, man, it takes so much off of us. No matter how difficult things are right now, as we think about him being there with us, that he loves us, that he's still got great things ahead, that, that's a good thing to know. It should cause us to relax a little bit. So before we dismiss, we're going to pray for some people, some families that are experiencing uh, some change, uh, actually moving on, longtime families. Uh, they're moving out of state. We've got Ed and Liz, right? Would you guys just stand? And I'm not embarrassed or anything. I just, they have been here for, for so long and helped in so many different ways. We love them. Uh, they're moving to Florida, right? To Florida. Okay, wonderful. Tom and Lisa Hayes, they are also moving. They've been here a very long time. And uh, Tom, most recently, Tom has revamped our snack, pre-service snack experience and with the coffee and the cookies and the donuts. And so we greatly appreciate all the work he's put into that in the last 20 months. So um, then we have Bruce Jones who came to me and I put out a beat that I was looking for a missions director and he said I would, I would love to help in that way. So Bruce is going to be carrying that capacity and in, in being a liaison between our church and our global missionaries. Um, and so we thank him for that. So I want us, before we go, to gather around these families, if you're comfortable, to, would you guys stand up, please? Stand up. And Michelle, stand up too with Bruce and just find one of the three right now. And we're going to just pray a blessing over their lives. I think this is your last Sunday, isn't it? Okay. And Tom and Lisa, their last Sunday is coming up soon. A couple weeks, month. Yep. Okay. Let's just pray for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. Father, we just thank you for faithful, committed people people who are just so awesome, Lord, families who are so awesome, they will be missed. We thank you for the rights. We thank you for the hazes. We just pray a blessing over them as they go. God, that you would be with them in Florida, be with them in Texas. God, those places aren't quite as cool as Colorado, but we understand. And (laughs) we just pray that you would just let them have peace. Lord, give them peace. Every fear, every doubt, every detail that is yet to come together, I pray that you would just let that come together, God. Make those crooked places straight. 
guide their every step. We thank you for them, Lord. Lord, we pray for Bruce and Michelle. We thank you for them and just the ways that they help the congregation. Now, as a missions director, we pray, give him wisdom and strength as he's communicating with our missionaries. And uh, just bless us as a church as we just want to expand your kingdom, not just here in Parker, but into the rest of the world. And so we thank you for Bruce and Michelle and pray a blessing over them in this capacity. And I thank you for all of our all of our mothers, all the women of our church, God, those who are not here today, who couldn't join us, or even my own mom who's back in Michigan. We pray a blessing over our mothers, our grandmothers, the women in our life who have made us who we are. We thank you for them and pray you give them a, just a really relaxing day and let them have your peace. And uh, if they're struggling with their past or with their future, that you would come and speak to them. Remind them that you love them, that you're with them, they're not alone, and you have great things ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Guys, bless you this week. For all the women of the church, there are roses in the lobby. Please take one or two. All the women of the church, get a couple roses out right out here. God bless you. Have a tremendous rest of the week. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.